Welcome to It's a Crime, I'm Linda, and today we're gonna to be talking about Melanie Gibb versus Melanie Pulowski. This is the video that I've been talking about. I did do a poll on my community tab where over 2,200 people actually voted for this to be talked about first. But before I was able to do this video, the kids were found and Chad Daybell had been arrested. So I'm gonna take the time to talk about both Melanie's and point out the discrepancies in their interviews and hopefully we can get to the bottom of the truth or at least gain a little bit more clarity. But before I get started, if you'd like to be part of the It's a Crime community, please click that subscribe button below and hit that notification bell. Make sure you click it to all. Please like this video if you support it and please share this out where you can. Now, let's get into it. So in the past little while, we've seen Lori Vallow Daybell's inner circle start to talk and give interviews. And both Melanie Gibb and Melanie Pulowski was part of that. Now, Melanie Gibb is a friend of Lori and Chad Daybell. She's an author and a podcaster, and she was recently seen in an interview with Nate Eaton of East Idaho News. Melanie Pulowski is Lori's niece and is now married to Ian Pulowski after having a quick 10 days of dating. She was married to Brandon Boudreau for 11 years, who in October had an attempt made on his life. She also moved to Rexburg, Idaho and lived right beside Lori. I'm going to call her for ease of use throughout this video, Melanie P. So I started noticing discrepancies in the interviews of these two women. So I'm gonna bring up a few topics. Topic number one, did Melanie P know about or was involved in the shooting and attempted murder of Brandon Boudreaux on October 2nd, 2019? Let's start with Melanie Gibb. Melanie Gibb mentions that she was asked by Melanie P and Alex to go check on the kids of Brandon Boudreaux and Melanie two weeks after Brandon's attempt on his life was made. And around the same time, Melanie P. tells Brandon that she's going to move from Arizona to Boise, Idaho. She lied. So they send Melanie Gibb to Brandon's previous house address. And Melanie Gibb goes to check on the kids at the previous place. And a neighbor says that they aren't there, they moved, and it's a good thing because Brandon was shot at. In the interview, Melanie Gibb says... I drove by to see if anybody was there because she was concerned about her children and I talked to a neighbor. He said that they had moved out two weeks ago. He said there were no children there and he said, I'm really glad they moved on because somebody tried to shoot at Brandon. So Melanie Gibb is surprised about this news and comes back and tells both Alex and Melanie P what was said. And Melanie Gibb says this in her interview about Alex and what he says. He said, oh yeah, we heard about that. He got shot at, but we believe that somebody tried to take a shot at him to make it look like it was us or make it look like me. And I do wonder if Melanie Gibb asked who they heard about the shooting from or who was it that they were referring to? Was it Brandon? Was it the authorities? Who? And here's where the lies and truth are coming to light. In the court document, Brandon says that Melanie P. had given a watch to their son with GPS on it and that no one would have known when the father left his home except for Melanie P. And also, Brandon did share the address with Melanie P. In the court document, it says, 
father left with the children, father knows that mother had given a watch with GPS tracking on it to the party's son, Braxton. Father notes that no one else would have known when father left his home that day except mother. Further, father had just moved into a new rental home only a few days prior and father had shared his address with mother as requested in text. Now I did mention this in a previous video. Typically when you're going through a custody matter like this, you have to provide the other party with your current address. Doesn't always happen of course, but you're supposed to and I did wonder this and here it is in the court documents that Brandon actually texted Melanie. So Melanie Gibbs says, both Alex and Melanie sent her to an old address. Yet, Melanie P gave her son a watch with GPS and Brandon texted her the address of his new rental home and they had a custody exchange that same morning. And since it was two weeks that had gone by since the shooting happened and even longer since Brandon moved in, Melanie P at this time or by this time would have known where he lives and yet still she asks along with Alex for Melanie Gibb to go to the old address and it wasn't just Melanie P who asked it's Alex as well why why wouldn't it just be Melanie to go check on them why is it Alex as well kind of strange here's where it gets even more interesting these are the new facts that have come to light just recently. Justin Lum from Fox News did some snooping around Brandon Boudreaux's neighborhood in Gilbert, Arizona, and reports this. A neighbor tells us on the morning of October 2nd, she noticed a Jeep parked across the street from her but to the right of Brandon's home. The Jeep faced west, parked nose to nose against another car, which was odd. The neighbor tells me the Jeep had been parked there all morning. Court documents filed by Brandon's attorney says he left his home around 7.20 a.m. to drop off his younger kids to his ex, Melanie Pulowski. He returned around 9.15 a.m. So according to the witness, that Jeep had been parked outside for at least two hours. When Brandon pulled into his driveway and had been allegedly shot at, the neighbor heard a loud noise. It's important to note Brandon believes he saw a silencer on the rifle. The neighbor remembers seeing the Jeep speed off down the street after the shooting. Justin Lum makes a really good point about the noise and the silencer. However, this could be anything. A backfire on the vehicle, a noise not related, who knows at this point. And in the court document it states, eyewitnesses at the scene placed a Jeep with Texas plates pulling up shortly after father left with the children. And we know the Jeep was registered to Charles Vallow and Tylee Ryan typically drove the Jeep. Now here's the best little info snack and in putting the pieces together. In the document it says, further, the Jeep did not have a back tire on it as was described by father and eyewitnesses at the scene that day, making the back window accessible to be lifted and allowing the shooter to fire a shot at father's driver's side door, missing his head by inches. Said Jeep was registered to Charles Vallow and is currently in police custody. The shooter is believed to have been Alex Cox. And in previous videos, we saw Lori and Chad on the same day of shooting roll a tire into the storage unit from Lori's car, as well as carry the a back seat of a vehicle into the unit. Now when we look at the Jeep, and this isn't the actual Jeep, it's just an example, we see when you take the back seat out, it gives you a lot more space. The only thing is, if Alex was in the back shooting, 
How is he going to get into the driver's seat quickly? He have to exit the vehicle and get into the driver's seat. A man of his size, in my opinion, wouldn't be able to hop over the console. I'd be able to, but not Alex, in my opinion. Now the question is, was there somebody else driving that vehicle? Here's what Melanie Gibb had to say about Alex being the shooter. And she's very careful in her response. Nate asks, do you think it was Alex? She says, from what I have heard, it does sound like it. And Nate says, sounds like something Alex would do. And she just kind of, kind of did like a little nod. Here's what Melanie P has to say about Alex being the shooter in her interview on Dateline. Keith says, there are allegations that it was Alex who took a shot at Brandon. Do you know that to be true? Melanie says, I don't. There was a time where I was confused and feared if that did happen because Brandon was so sure with the details. Keith asked, did you ask Alex if he tried to shoot Brandon? She says, I did, and kind of giggles. She says, I just said, Alex, like, do you know what happened with that? He made some jokes about it, and then we both talked about how insane that would be for him across the street with a rifle in broad daylight in a recognizable car. Keith says, did he ever actually deny it? She pauses and she says, um, yeah, he denied it many times. And it is insane to do that in broad daylight. It's that insane that you just might get away with it. With all the truth coming out these days, anything can happen in these cases. And in my last video, I talked about how brazen it is for a masked man to show up at Tammy and Chad Daybell's house in the middle of the day or in broad daylight beside a really busy highway and make an attempt on Tammy. So there's a little bit of a common denominator there. Now, Ian Pulowski talked about the attempt as well and he writes to his ex-wife Natalie about it. Here's what he said. I can get this sorted out. I want to help, but it will be tough if everyone starts figuring out what I'm learning. She didn't know beforehand what was going to happen. They made the attempt, failed, and told her about it after the fact. I understand he doesn't want the kids around her because of all this, meaning Brandon, but I believe if she can see them, it will put a huge dent in her trust with her uncles. She's scared and had been told her two middle children are dead. She has a family court date on December 11th. I'm trying to get her to go. So Ian is saying that Melanie P didn't know before that it was going to happen to Brandon. Then his very next line says, they made the attempt, failed, and told her about it after the fact. Who's they? This makes me think that there was two people in that vehicle or two people behind the plan, at least. Or Ian's being told that. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Who do you refer to, Ian, when you say they? Also, if they told Melanie after the fact, which is coming from her new husband, why is she saying in the interview that she didn't know about it and she was asking Alex about it? Someone is lying here. What are your thoughts here? Let me know in the comments below. And then Ian says 
He understands why Brandon doesn't want the kids around her, but then he says the line, but I believe if she can see them, it will put a huge dent in her trust with her uncles. Why is that? Why would her uncles not trust her if she saw her own children? Super strange in my opinion. What is Melanie P's role with her uncles? So the common denominator in the shooting is Alex, and I did do a video, I'll put that right here for you if I can find it. <laughs> but the question is who else was with him? Who's they? And Melanie Gibb is saying that Melanie Pulowski told her that she didn't know about it. In the interview with Melanie P, she talks about asking Alex if he did it and joked about it. And in the court documents, it's saying that she would know the time that Brandon was home, that she knew the new address because she was texted, and that she gave her son a watch with GPS tracking on it. So I'm really curious now. It's it's starting to look not so good. What this is also telling us is if Melanie Gibbs' statements are true, that Melanie Gibb is kind of an outsider in this circumstance. Even though she's part of the group, she doesn't seem to be let in on the deeper secrets surrounding this. And she's even being used as a scapegoat, right? To go to Brandon's old address to look for the children. Let's have that chat in the discussion below. Now we move on to the next topic and that is about zombies and beliefs and what both Melanie's say on it. First, let's define the word zombie as outlined in the documents. These zombies are human bodies that have had their original spirits forced from them and have been possessed by either a demon, original third of the heavenly host who followed Lucifer, disembodied spirit, once living human spirits who have chosen not to be reborn into another probation, which is another life, or a worm slash slug, a creature controlled by Lucifer that enters the body to control the host. When people become possessed by these beings, the original spirit is pushed out of the body and trapped in limbo. The only way for the spirit to move forward is to await the death of their current possessed body. So now I'm going to take you back to Ian's statement to his ex-wife where he says she's scared and had been told her two middle children are dead. Dead or zombies? Or what is it? And who told her that the two middle children are dead? And here is where, in my opinion, this has something to do with Chad and his rating chart. Perhaps. Because when you look at Chad's zombie chart, that was sent on October 30th, 2018, a year before this attempt. Brandon was already marked a 3D. And we know now that not only Brandon was 3D, but Charles changed to into a zombie. Tylee was rated already dark and also JJ was later said to have become a zombie and we know what happened to all three of them. Now this is interesting because it also says the chart details stats on which a person was ranked by his or her levels of vibration, libido, trustworthiness, and light dark percentage. Now, Ian says in his memo that according to Lori and Chad, Brandon was possessed and Alex may need to take a shot at Brandon in order to take care of the Lord's purpose of what needed to happen. And I do wonder where, or I should say, I wonder where Ian would have heard that from. 
perhaps his new wife, Melanie P. Melanie P. was asked if she thought Brandon turned dark, and she said no in her interview. Nate says, do you believe that Brandon has turned dark? She says, no, in our faith you have. As you increase in becoming closer to your Savior and act on obedience, you increase in light. And as you invite evil things into your life, you're losing that light of Christ. But Ian writes, Melanie stated that Brandon had been possessed by a demon or another dark entity sometime after June of 2019. Yet Chad's trusty chart says that Brandon is dark and that Charles had turned into a zombie. Not on the chart, but he said that we know down the line he did. And Melanie knows of this chart because Charles came over to her and Brandon Boudreaux's house back before when Charles died and Melanie actually addresses this in her interviews. Now, Melanie Gibb, in her interview, talked about being dark and a zombie, and she said they are a bit different. So I do wonder if Nate Eaton would have asked Melanie Pulowski if she believes if Brandon is a zombie, what she would say to that. Now, Nate goes on in the interview and was talking about Lori and asked, so anyone that would disagree with Lori or cause her any sort of problem would become a zombie? And Melanie Gibbs says, pretty much, or either considered to be dark. They're a little bit different, but that's another discussion. She starts to giggle, and Nate says, yeah. And now back to Melanie P's interview. At this point, I believe that she would have said no about Brandon being a zombie no matter what. Because if she did admit to Brandon being a zombie, then it wouldn't look good on her at all, right? If she said, yeah, I believe that Brandon is a zombie, of course we're going to be like, aha, then there's a plan for him to die, etc., etc. So I think Melanie P wouldn't have, um, even if she did believe it, I don't think she would have stated that. I think uh, she was protecting, you know, covering her butt. So Ian says, also in another writing, he says, Melanie was told through Revelation or by Chad Daybell that because of Brandon's possession, something needed to happen to him. But Ian says, Melanie did not take well to the idea. She still loved Brandon and did not want anything to happen to him. So there's all kinds of discrepancies. Then when the actual shooting happened, Ian said, this is where things started becoming concerning to me. Melanie shared the idea that Chad and Lori could have directed Alex Cox to take a shot at Brandon. Now with Melanie Gibb, she talked about zombies as well and talked about how Alex was 100% in his belief about zombies. And as we know, he's the one who shot at Charles and killed him. So this makes us now believe that he knew that Charles was a zombie and he took care of that issue by killing him as well. And it also makes sense now at our suspicion as to why Alex didn't perform CPR on poor Charles because you don't resuscitate a zombie. And now with Chad's handy dandy zombie chart, he could see that Brandon was a problem as well. And what do you do with zombies? you get rid of them. And also, we knew that Tylee was rated dark and potentially a zombie, and JJ re was regarded and rated as a zombie as well further down the line. And we know what happened to them. Now, what's interesting is that Melanie Gibbs said to Nate that to get rid of zombies, there would be a special prayer that was said. And then in the same interview, she said that she didn't believe that the kids were alive. She said they aren't on this planet anymore in her personal opinion. 
so what's interesting is Melanie Gibbs said there is a prayer. I would like to know the details of that prayer and what all was involved. Now we move on to topic number three, which is communicating specifically with phones. Melanie Gibb in her interview talked about Lori having three different phones. One was exclusively for Lori and Chad to talk on. Then Melanie said she suspects that their phones weren't working anymore after they left for Hawaii in December. She said she phoned Chad's phone instead to talk to Lori. And I'm curious when Lori actually got these extra phones. Nate Eaton actually mentioned 60 burner phones being used, but it um, wasn't elaborated on. And this is what Melanie said about the phones. It was hard to track her at times. You didn't know which phone she was going to pick up. She had one special phone that her and Chad would communicate with, and he had a special phone outside of his cell phone number, so it was just for their personal communication. Melanie P. talked about not knowing what Lori's phone number was either. Nate says, Melanie, when is the last time you talked to her? She says, second week in December after Alex had passed. And when Melanie talked to Lori, that was the same night that Ian told her that he had been going to police and FBI. And so my question is, I wonder who called who? She said, I would guess that they were already in Hawaii at the time. I didn't have their number. I think that was the last time I spoke with them. Nate says, where do you guys think JJ and Tylee are? She says, I don't know, and I've been asked that so many times, and as we know, I've had every fear in the world what could have happened to them, and I think most of December after Lori and Chad just disappeared and I had no phone number for them and no contact, I am thinking the worst. Now, December is three months after the kids go missing, and Melanie said most of December she starts worrying. Remember, though, she did move to Rexburg at the beginning of November. Don't you find it weird that someone so close to Lori all of a sudden can't get a hold of her? Someone not only moves to the same town, moves right next door, yet all of a sudden can't get a hold of her. Why? I wonder if that's from Lori's point of view, or I wonder if that's from Melanie. I mean, not even Melanie asks why. So I was doing a little Snoopy Snooperson, and I came across this for Melanie. She has three phones listed under her name, all in Idaho Falls, Idaho. Lori doesn't, Chad doesn't, Alex doesn't, but Melanie does. So I just wonder why she needed three phone numbers. I thought, well, maybe one of them's Ian's because she has a lot of numbers for only living there for half of a year. Could she have helped Lori with getting a phone? Why is there three phones? I even matched it with Ian's and it's a different number. So is it maybe that she was harassed and she changed her number? Or is the reason why both Melanie's couldn't get a hold of Lori is because Melanie P has them? This might not be the case. I'm just curious as and find this really interesting. Let me know your thoughts in the comments below. Now we move on to the next topic. Number four, both Melanie's stayed at Lori's house, but there are discrepancies. Let's start with Melanie P. Melanie was asked, did you visit Rexburg before you moved? She says, and this is funny, Ian was actually sitting beside and he starts getting uncomfortable and scratches his head. 
Just an observation. She says, I did on a weekend. We have custody 50-50. Anytime I didn't have time with my kids, I did go visit Lori for a weekend up there. Lori had said, come see if you like it here. She says, we toured BYU, Idaho. She said, Tylee was with friends and she always is with friends, so I didn't ask any questions about that. And JJ is always doing some type of therapy or with a nanny or in school that will help him. And so if I didn't see him, I wasn't asking, you know, where is he? And I have always trust her. And I known that they left to Idaho because they were being threatened by people. I actually have a lot of questions about this statement. She's stating she went to visit Lori for a weekend up there where she says JJ is always doing some type of therapy or with a nanny or in school that will help him. I'm not questioning that he did that, but I'm questioning it's a weekend. And therapy is typically during the weekdays, from my understanding. And his school is from Monday to Friday. And well, the nanny was hired for a very short period, meaning September 18th and September 19th. So I understand Lori may be lying to Melanie, but who doesn't question where JJ is the entire weekend she visited there? Just curious. Now, when describing JJ, Melanie used him in the past tense. She said JJ was very high energy and sometimes would be in everyone's space. Ian at this point is looking uncomfortable. And then she says, Lori always talked about her children. She goes on to say, during that time, I guess from November until I guess the 20th is when me and Ian started dating. I didn't see them, but I didn't see a lot of Lori. I saw Alex pretty much every day and anytime I guess would go over. I would ask what's Tylee doing? Oh, she's out with friends and we're doing everything we can to protect the kids from Kay. Kay's causing a lot of trouble right now. Again, what about JJ? Doesn't mention it. Now, I want to read you what the babysitter said about the kids and their rooms. This would be uh, based on the observations of the babysitter on September 18th and 19th. That would be a week after Tylee went missing and four days before JJ went missing. The babysitter said that Lori would say that Tylee would come visit for dinner or do laundry, but she never said that she lived there with them. And the babysitter says, it appeared that only Lori and JJ lived there from the look of things and from what she told me. Then she talked about JJ having a meltdown and running up to Lori's room and here's what she said about that. I quickly found him under the bed in his mom's room. He also had a room upstairs but from what I remember it just had toys in it and no bed. Lori's room appeared normal. She had a large bed, bathroom, and it looked clean. Although something kind of strange was that there was a small mattress in the corner where JJ slept. It was pretty thin, the size of a twin mattress with sheets and a pillow. Let's just rewind a minute where she says, I did see some of their things and she had a room set up perfectly for Tylee and JJ and it didn't seem strange to me. Let's talk about Melanie Gibb. Melanie went there for a weekend as well from the 19th to the 23rd of September. She toured BYU Idaho just like Melanie P. She said Tylee wasn't there. Lori said that Tylee was at BYU, but JJ was there that weekend. And Melanie stated that she did find it odd about Tylee not being there because she knew that Tylee graduated early. And one thing though I do want to say is if Lori 
took Melanie Gibb to BYU-Idaho. Wouldn't you say, hey, we're here, why don't we see if Tylee can come and say hi? Just something that I thought about and maybe that's something Melanie Gibb thought about down the road or looking back. Melanie Gibb also stated that Lori didn't even talk about Tylee that entire weekend she was there. Nate asked in the interview if Lori spoke about JJ and she says, oh yeah, he was all around us and we were talking about him quite a bit actually. As I arrived on Thursday, she said he turned a zombie the day before I got there. So that would be September 18th. And Melanie goes on to say, and she was pointing out behaviors of him. She said, look how he's doing this. It's unusual. Look how he's doing that. She was trying to create uncertainty in me about what I saw his behavior is. Doubt. I was looking at him and I thought, well, I don't know. He looks like JJ to me. Hyper and angry in one minute and then kind of chill or crying the next minute. That's how his behaviors were always around me. I don't know if they were always like that, but that's how I noticed him when I was around them. She just gave me a few scenarios of different things that he would say that sounded a little unusual. I didn't hear him say it, but she would share it and say like he said this or he said that. So I wonder if Lori had the zombie talk with Melanie Pulowski about this as well. because She certainly was able to talk to Melanie Gibb about it. Both Melanies were asked about being in a cult and both said no. And they said it's not a cult. They did say they would gather as a group and talk about the doctrine and what ifs and have religious talks. And Nate identified them and the group as Zulema, Alex, both Melanies, Lori, and Chad. And I did mention this before about they might not identify with themselves being part of a cult just for the plain fact that in their mind, they are just a small meeting, you know, they're just a small group meeting. And it really depends on what their definition of a cult is, right? I mean, really, who's going to admit that they're part of a cult? No one, really. Certainly not them. Now, while I was reading the court documents of Brandon Boudreaux, I came across this about belonging to a cult and Melanie Gibb, and it says, Although Mother denies belonging to a cult, it is believed that Melanie Gibb will testify in Father's case that Mother was deeply involved with the Doomsday cult. It is also believed that Miss Gibb will testify regarding the beliefs that Mother and other members hold. And in Melanie Gibb's interview, we've heard her talk about Melanie P and how she feels about her. And this is what she said. Nate says, what's Melanie Boudreaux like? And Melanie Gibbs says, she was, she's fun, I really like, I really love Melanie. We did have a special relationship. She loved me and I loved her. She seemed like she had a lot of strife in her life. She was really worried about her family. So we had conversations about what was going on to some level. She wasn't as involved as Chad and Lori, but we were a support to each other, I think. This tells me a few things, in my opinion. Melanie Gibb talks about the relationship in the past tense. First, she uses both tenses, I really like and love Melanie. Then, she loved me and I loved her. She said we did have a special relationship. Then, the most important line, I think, was where she says she wasn't as involved as Chad and Lori, but, and then changed and said we were a support to each other. So she said she wasn't as involved as Chad and Lori, which let me know then how involved she was. And I felt since 
Melanie Gibbs interview that she really just wants the truth out there. She may not have been as detailed in the interview, but I do feel that she wants the truth out. And it does seem from the statement that she no longer talks to Melanie P with the way she's talking, but I do wish the question was asked, when was the last time, Melanie Gibb, that you spoke to Melanie P? And in Melanie P's interviews, I feel like she did a lot of talking in circles and never really giving a direct answer, evading kind of a lot of questions, answering it, uh, half, half sentences. And I do feel that Melanie P knows more than what she's letting on. And I know a lot of you think that same way. I see tons of comments on that. And Melanie Gibb, even though she may have not been as detailed, like I said, I don't think she's as willing to hide much. She seems more forthcoming. She seems more in four words that she says is more truth than what Melanie P has in all her interviews, in my opinion. Now, also, there was a lawyer comment that was made in Melanie Gibbs' interview from Nate Eaton. And Nate mentions how many have said to her that she needs to get an attorney. And he asked, what is her response to that? And she said, why do I need an attorney if I'm telling the truth? God is on my side. I feel like this could just be Melanie Gibb talking about herself and her own actions. But I also am wondering if she was alluding to the fact that Melanie P has a lawyer or needed one. I mean, just a thought, maybe not, but when you think about it, she didn't have an attorney. She's speaking and Melanie Pulowski has an attorney and they kept blocking questions that Nate Eaton was asking and they would intervene. So I do give more credit to Melanie Gibb, in my opinion. She was more forthcoming than Melanie P was in her interviews. Melanie Gibbs seemed more proactive, whereas Melanie P seemed to be doing damage control. And I guess on Melanie P's side, in her defense, she would have a lot more fingers pointing at her than Melanie Gibb. So there's that. Let's have a chit chat below about all this. The more info I'm gathering and connecting, the more questions I have, and I'm sure you guys have as well. I have a lot of interesting deep dives this week, so make sure that you do subscribe and you hit that notification bell. So let's have a chit chat below, and I'm looking into Lori's side of the family as well. I still haven't done a video on Summer Shiflet and Janice Cox in the 48-hour interview, so perhaps I will do that. Let me know also what you would like to see me do a deep dive. So let's have a chat. Please subscribe, like, and share. Thank you so much for watching. See you soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.